0: A man came to me and said, I found a nice girl for you. She lives in the next village, and she is ready for marriage. We were not supposed to meet until the wedding. But I wanted to make sure. So I sneaked into her village, hid behind a tree, watched her washing the clothes. I think if I don't like the way she looks, I don't marry her, but she looked very nice to me. So I said, okay, to the man. We get married. We married for 55 years. Well, hello friends, how are we doing tonight? You guys ready to come to the table and eat from God's Word? And if you have God's Word, yes, there are some yeses, good. If you have God's Word, uh, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, if you have the app, you can swipe on open or you can just look on the screen here. Tonight, uh, well, we have been in a multiple week s- uh, message series on Friends Plus, and the whole idea behind it is. Hey, you can should build friends broadly with as many people as you can. Add them to your friend zone. Uh, you can do a lot of things out of that. You can turn friendship into a business partnership or ministry or romance or whatever. Um, and, and that's kind of been where we've been. We're going to talk more about that in a second. But uh, one of the things that's been kind of lingering behind the scenes is... Uh, we've been speaking in the positives, but behind the scenes, it's been, well, what happens with all the negative stuff that comes up that may hinder me in my pursuit of friendships? And specifically, we're going to talk about one main one that we uh, see young adults struggling with all the time, and that is family drama, okay? So no, now, no, well, there's some clapping. Oh, no. I was like, I was trying to be cool with it, and some of you are like, yes, talk about that right now, okay? I'm coming to your TED Talk. Um So I want to talk about family drama today, Uh, and really the way in which family drama, in many respects, holds us back from building all kinds of relationships, friendships, work relationships, romantic relationships, uh, and the like. But to kind of set all of that up, I want to tell you a story. This is, in fact... Uh, a story that our good friend uh, Alec told the first time he preached ever here. It comes from like fundamentalist camps, which is where Alec grew up. Grew, Alec grew up in fundamentalism, and um, he tells the story. I'm going to tell it in my own way because it's just a very uh, tried and true story. But basically, imagine with me. There's this uh, there's this uh, young son-in-law. And he likes to cook, and so he's going to cook the traditional meal. The in-laws are going to come over and talks to the wife and says, Hey, I want to cook this meal. And the wife says, Well, here's the recipe that my mom gave to me and just the the chicken the way that, you know, it says on the recipe. So he looks at the recipe, and he goes... You know, take the chicken, cut it into quarters, put it into small pans, cook, you know, cook in the oven for such and such a time until the chicken is ready. And he goes, that's really weird. Why would I cut up that? I just have this whole chicken. Why would I cut it up here? So he looks at his wife. He's like, why, why does the recipe say this? Can I just cook it like all together? And she's like, no, no, no. The recipe says you have to cut it up and put it in smaller pans to cook it. And he's like, well, can I just cook it all together? No, this is the recipe. It came down from my family. This is the gospel truth, right? Don't change that. And he goes, well, this just seems weird. Can I call your mom and talk? And she's like, okay. So he calls the mom before she comes over and says, hey, I'm looking at the recipe. I want to cook it right. But I notice it says cut the chicken up into four quarters and kind of put it in a different, you know, pans, put it in the oven. This seems weird. Why is the recipe like that? Do you know? And she says, well, this was the recipe that was handed down to me from my mother-in-law. Okay. And this is the gospel. You're going to cook it this way. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa, Okay. Hey, uh, like any chance I can call uh, grandma and talk to her about this? Because it just, I just have some questions. And so she's like, sure, fine. FaceTime her. So son gets on and FaceTimes grandma. It's like, hey, grandma, I got this recipe. I'm cooking for the in-laws. They're coming over. I want to make sure that's right. But I noticed it starts off with cutting the chicken up into four quarters and putting it in different pans, putting it in the oven. We have this industrial sized oven here. I can cook the whole thing right there. Is there any reason why I should cut this bird up and put it into four pans and cook it like that? You know, I, I wanna follow the recipe. And grandma says this, oh, there, there's a very good reason why we did that. When I made the recipe many years ago, I had a small oven. And so we had to cut the chicken up in order to fit it all in there. And he goes, oh, that makes sense. So I can cook it the whole way? And she's like, yeah, that's fine, right? Well, here's why I'm telling you this story here. Some of you are like, I never cook. I just Uber eats. Like, that, that's, a, that's a terrible opening story for young adults. Uh, here's why I'm telling you this story. Uh, because I think for many of us, our families handed us down a recipe of how you behave around other people. And they told us this was gospel. And we took it and said okay and just kind of plowed through and we've been relating to people in friendships and relationships and dating relationships and business relationships, the way our family told us you're supposed to act And we have noticed that those relationships are petering out. Those relationships are not moving on to their logical, healthy conclusion. And you're probably, if you're someone who's experiencing this, you you may be hitting that phase where you realize that part of being an adult is learning to recognize where your family recipe that you've been handed may not be serving you well in building future relationships right? We've been using this bucket here talking about it. We say that like, again, healthy relationships is you can just imagine like each ball here represents a friend and the blue thing is your kind of friend zone. Everybody you meet, right? Everybody you meet. You go to the table, you meet people, you get to a group launch. You're like, cool, I'm gonna put you in the friend zone. Girl, you look good. I'm gonna put you in the friend zone, right? Uh, everybody, even, you know, guys, we all go in the friend zone and then someone stands out and that's the person that we maybe think about dating. And so then dating kind of progresses from there, Right? But many of us, we're putting people in the friend zone and we come in and we're like, hey, I think this person's going to work. I'm following the five C's, character, competency, chemistry, uh, career plan, community buy-in. And then we go and we're like, we're going to put them in the friend zone. Uh, We're going to put them in the friend zone here. And they go, well, this doesn't work. How about this? Oh, now it bounces out, right? And they keep bouncing out, and we're like, hey, I want to put them in, in the friend zone, but it's just, it's like it's not sticking, like I, I can't get in there, like, and you're realizing that, man, the recipe I've had about how to treat somebody that my parents handed down to me and told me was gospel, it actually is hindering my relationships. At work, I, I can't seem to get the promotion, even though I'm trying everything that my parents told me I should be doing. Uh, in dating, we, I keep getting to the third date and the fourth date and the fifth date and then we, we end up having the DTR and she breaks up with me and I'm like, I don't know what's going on here, right? I, I join this small group and I think these guys are going to be my friends and then about six weeks in, the, the group just dissolves and when I meet with someone, I'm like, what's going on? They're like, man, you just, there's some stuff going on in your life. There's just a lot of drama or whatever and I'm just going, hey man, like what, what's failing me here? Have you ever felt that way? Is it possible? The family that you were born into uh, maybe handed you a recipe that isn't quite helping you fully. Now, there's a lot of great stuff there going on, okay? Mom and dad are great. But some of the stuff, in in with the goodness, there's a mixture of badness that's hindering you from your relationships you're trying to build. I'll give you an example uh, from my personal life. First year Natalie and I were married, first month Natalie and I were married, (laughs) we had this massive fight, okay? So... Couples in here, when you get married, just, just know, it's not like once you figure it out and you say, I do, and you put the ring on the finger, it's like, ah, and you jump on this elevator, you know, escalator belt, and it's just smooth sailing till you die. Um, this is not that way. I'm just, just warning, okay? There's still going to be fights. There's still the fall. You're still a human being. So we got into this major fight, and I'll tell you kind of the genesis of, uh, of all this. In my family that I was raised in, my dysfunctional family, part of the thing that got handed to me that my family taught me, uh, my dad was a yeller uh, like he yelled a lot is what I mean. Uh, and anytime he got angry, he would just yell. And so we knew if dad was yelling, we had to kind of steer clear because he was kind of abusive and kind of overbearing and these kind of things. And so if my dad started yelling, I was trying to be somewhere else. Okay. In addition, my dad abandoned my family a lot. And so when he would get frustrated with my mom, he would just leave and he would go live with some other lady and then he'd come back and then he'd get mad at my mom and he'd leave and go live with some other lady. And he came back. This is all my life. This is what my dad did. So I knew two things about kind of a family dynamic, that, that people yell when they're upset and um, that abuse typically is kind of related to that and that uh, when people are, when, when they go out the door in a, in a huff and they slam the door, they are abandoning us. So those are my two fears going into kind of marriage, right? Right, again, toxic person, death. Um, Natalie and her family, uh, her mom uh, was deaf in one ear. And so if she couldn't hear, she would yell. And that was a a cue for Natalie and her sister to yell louder. And so in their household, it was really normal that uh, Natalie's mom would be in one room and Natalie would be in another room. And they would just go, hey, Natalie, can you get, get that for me? What? 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 Like all the time back and forth. So they just were a yelling family. And in Natalie's family, it was really normal when you got frustrated, they would say, just leave the room. And just kind of go to your thing. So, anytime Natalie got frustrated or her dad or mom, they would leave and they would slam the door and like go into another room. Can you see where this might be a problem in our first year of marriage? (laughs) So, I mean, like, first fight right out of the gate. We've maybe been married, I don't know, two weeks. Uh, There's just some kind of normal conversation, and we get upset. And Natalie starts yelling and I'm going, oh no, like, like, you know, fight or flight is starting to kick in. I'm turning purple. I don't know what's happening. I'm just like, huh? Right. And so Natalie gets upset and she leaves and she slams the front door. Well, now I'm scared because there's yelling and Natalie's gone. And I'm thinking, she is leaving me. We're getting a divorce. Like what is happening here? And I'm crying in our living room and I just don't know what's going on and I'm, I'm, You know, I'm the one who like, you know, in the people in the romantic relationships, there's the person who doesn't text and the person who texts way too much. Very early on, I was the person who texted way too much. If Natalie left, I would just be like, hey, where are you? You left in a hurry. You were yelling. Why were you yelling? Were you yelling at me? Were you yelling because you're upset? On a scale of zero to 10, how bad is this? You're not answering. Oh my gosh, does that mean it's an 11? Did I give you an inaccurate scale? What's going on here? Right, that that was me. And, And that was our whole first fight right there. What was going on there? Well... Natalie had her recipe of how her family operated, and I had my recipe of how my family operated. And those two recipes were just burning our relationship to the ground in that moment. And that's such a clear picture of what I think happens with a lot of us as we talk, is that you're trying to build these relationships with people. You're not a bad person. You're trying as hard as you can, but you got this script from your family, and you're trying as hard as you can. And it's just, you're not going in, and it's just, it's, and you're just, ah, so you try harder because you know you're a Christian, you love people, and so you're trying harder. And you're just like, in the name of Christ, I compel you to be my friend. <laughs> so what do we do? What do we do? When the relationships we're trying to build seem to be hitting a wall, that the script we were given from our family seems to not be working, how do we move forward? Listen, here's the, here's the big idea I want you guys to understand today. Relationships that last are relationships that love. Okay? The relationships that last are the relationships that are built on love, not the family recipe that you were given. Now, you may love your family, and they may love you, and they may have been very well-intentioned at telling you this is going to help you in life. But with all respect to your family, the standard of healthy relationships is not your family of origin. The standard of healthy relationships is Jesus and his love for the church. And so if you're going to be the kind of person who builds healthy relationships, relationships that last, it's going to have to be built on the love of Christ, not on family drama. And part of being an adult, just so you guys know, is learning to come to grips with the fact that your family, as good as they were, may not have been perfect in teaching you how to love people in relationships. And you got to have to start to see your parents as fallible human beings with feet of clay who did their best to love you and raise you and shoot you out of their house as a young adult, but who were, who were imperfect in the way they did that. And so what, what being an adult kind of means is coming to grips with, these are the things where my parents were good and I should carry them forward, but these are the ways that my parents were not good and I should not carry them forward. And honoring my parents doesn't mean just obeying all of this all the time. Honoring my parents means... Uh, Taking the things that were really good and moving them forward and then taking the things that were bad and calling them bad because what Jesus recommends is so much better. Let me see if I can give you a really clear example of this. Okay, ready for this? Um, I took the passage we're going to look at today, 1 Corinthians 13, and I wrote it uh, and rewrote it uh, from a viewpoint of dysfunctional love. And I want you to look on the screen, and just as I'm reading through this, just tell me if any of this resonates with you about maybe something you experienced in your family or in a friend's family or something like that. So here's 1 Corinthians 13. This is the dramatic chaos version, okay? Love is impatient and mean. Love is jealous and brags when things are going well. Love is proud and in your face. Love is selfish and gets irritable when my needs aren't met perfectly. Love holds grudges and makes hit lists of people who have offended them. Uh, sound familiar yet? Love cheers a little too aggressively when dictators are toppled or when evildoers are punished violently. Love shies away from truth, sweeping reality under the carpet and pretends that it doesn't exist. Sound like anybody? Okay, I'm hearing some some silent like, oh boy. Love has a limit to what it will bear, does not believe in you or your dreams, and lives without hope and doesn't stick around. If I was going to write today what many of the young adults in our ministry describe about their upbringing, it's this, that love love and their family behave this way. You love your parents, they say they love you, but then they behave in a way that's very radical from love, radically different from what love is. And so what I want us to do today is go, hey, let's recognize that some of that stuff was good, but a lot of it was not good. And therefore, let's meditate. For the rest of our time here, I just want to meditate on what real love is. So I want to do two things in the rest of our time together here. Number one, describe what love is from 1 Corinthians 13. Then number two, address what we should do What steps we could take to implement, begin implementing a healthier view of love into our relationships. Because again, the relationships that last are the relationships that love. So with 1 Corinthians 13, start in verse 4. We'll just read 4, 5, 6, 7. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard this before. Paul writes this, love is patient and kind. And I want us to just meditate on this by by observing philosophically at a 30,000-foot view what I think Paul is trying to say about love to us. And so there's just three things we'll see. They'll be on your screen. Number one, I want you to notice from this that love, it it behaves this way. It's a change agent. Paul is writing love, verb. He doesn't describe it in adjectives or adverbs. He describes it in verbs. Love behaves a certain way. And the way it behaves is as a change agent. The way that it loves is intended to change the object or the recipient of the love. Have you ever thought about that? Love is a change agent. It changes you. If you've ever been loved by somebody, you know that that process of being loved by somebody will change you. Um, A good metaphor for this is is light and darkness. Um, If you've ever been to a room that's dark, you flip on the switch, light fills up the room. Light actually goes into that dark, negative, empty space, and it fills it up. Light changes the space it inhabits. You never go into a room that's light and flip on a switch and darkness backflows and inhabits the light. It doesn't work that way. And this is the same way with love. Love, when it goes inside of a person, when love dwells in you, it actually changes that space it inhabits. And anybody who's ever seen a love relationship for a relationship knows this. So I'll give you an example just, again, from my own personal life. So I have a son. His name's James. Um, and James sometimes, you know, he's a little kid, he's four, he, he gets emotional, he gets tired, especially when he gets tired, he's just, his emotions are all over the place, right? Sounds like some of us in the room here, uh, me, I'm that way. Um, so the other day, James was just real, just whiny. Um, in fact, Natalie was Marco pulling me today, and she said, James was whining because we had a banana tree in our uh, backyard, but it was getting too big, and so we chopped it down. And so James was walking around today going, I miss the banana tree. There were, there were bunches of bananas on the banana tree. How are we going to get bunches of bananas? Are we going to have to go to a store and buy them? Are they organic? If they're organic, are they fair trade? Do you know that you sh- they ship them on containers from other countries, typically in South America? Have we considered the oil reserves and the plant? No, he didn't say all of that, but... <clears throat> but, you know, this is basically, he's just whining because he can't get bananas and the banana trees, right? And so he does this from time to time. He'll come in, he's, he'll just kind of fixate on something, and he'll just be like, Dad, is this, I can't believe that, the, that outside there are stars in the sky. Why aren't stars on the ground? Why do I have to look up? That hurts my neck, Dad. And he'll whine, and he'll just do this. And here's what I've learned to do. I've learned to just go, James, come here, buddy. Just sit down with me. I don't want to sit down with you. Just sit on the couch with me. But don't touch me. I won't touch you. Just sit on the couch. Okay. Okay, just take some deep breaths. I don't want to breathe. Okay. Just, you just sit there. What are we doing? We're just sitting here. What are we doing? We're just sitting here. Why are we sitting here? Because I want you to calm down. Okay, I'm calm. What do you want? I want a donut. I can take care of that. Dunkin' Donuts open 24 hours. Let's get in the truck. Let's go. Right? Okay. Now, what just happened in that moment? I was patient and I was kind. Why? Because love is patient and it's kind. And when you love someone with a patient, kind kind of love, it changes them. What happened in that moment is that love invaded the space of my son's heart and his soul, and it brought him to a calm, reorienting horizon of reality there, and we can move forward. And any of us who have ever been in a love relationship before, we know that that's how it works. Maybe it's been a romantic kind of love. You, Someone loves you for the first time romantically, and you're like, oh my goodness, like, right? And again, we see it all the time, the proverbial, like, gross boy, who just like never showers and has that one little hair thing on his chin because he thinks it's cool. And uh, every girl is like, we'll talk about that later, right? But it's not like she, it's like first date material. You're defining the relationship. You're like, okay, well, how's this gonna work? Well, number one, you're gonna shave that goatee because it's not 2004, you know, right? She doesn't have that conversation. She's like, listen, I love you. He's like, I love you. And then in the relationship, two or three DTRs later, it's like, hey, what do you think of the facial hair? It's not your strongest approach. Okay, what's my strongest approach? Well, here you go. I've created a Pinterest board with everything I'd like you to wear. And I bought you a Visa gift card to purchase all this stuff, right? Next thing you know, he he stops wearing Axe body spray, right? And he starts wearing the collared shirts that he either tucks in or doesn't because it's fashionable. And the guy looks good. And every girl who sees the guy moving forward is like, man, what happened in his life? It's not that the Queer Eye guys came and got involved with him, (laughs) right? Right? You see, he got a girlfriend who loves him, and love is a change agent. She's been patient. She has endured the various phases of his clothing wardrobe game and has gotten him to this point. Love is a change agent. Number two, I want you to notice that love turns toxic people into safe people. All of that stuff there, that it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth That love, because it's a change agent, specifically how it changes people is it turns them from being very, very toxic to these safe people. Think about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Now, some of you are from Brazil. There's a city in Brazil called Sao Paulo, right? Named after St. Paul. Named after this guy we're talking about. There's a ton of St. Paul's cathedrals all over the world. You would, you'd think this guy was probably like just born a, a saint, just a really great person. But no, if you read the history of, of St. Paul, Paul, in his early years, especially in his 20s and 30s, he was a religious terrorist. He killed people in the name of religion, okay? Okay. If he were alive today, he would be blowing up buildings and like in West Africa, in Boko Haram, he'd be taking out people. He would, he would be this terrible person. He would be on the FBI's most wanted list, right? I mean, they would say Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, the apostle Paul, those would, that's how it would work. He was a bad, bad guy. In the book of Acts, if you read through it, as Luke accounts this, um, there was a guy named Stephen who was a missionary and some religious leaders stoned him to death And then it gives you the first description of Paul, who's just kind of standing off in the corner, super creepy style, like, I approve of that, right? Like, can you stone him again? There's not enough blood coming out of his body right now. Like, he is a dark, twisted, creepy, evil. They make a Netflix or an Amazon Prime documentary about his life. He's a terrible person. And then he meets Jesus, And what happens now? Oh, he only becomes one of the most loving human beings on the planet who dies for the gospel trying to take care of and pastor people. He writes things like, bear one another's burdens. He writes things like, husbands, love your wives and give up your life for them. What happened there? Love is a change agent. And the love of Christ, it's it's gotten into his space, and it's changed him, and it has turned him from being this very toxic person to an incredibly safe person. That's what specifically love does. This is what love did for me. I was an incredibly toxic person. But by God's grace, the love of Christ has gotten into my space, and it's changed me into a safe person. Listen, The kind of people that other people want to be around are safe people. You ever thought about that? The kind of people that have friends, that get promotions, that that seem to date well, right? They're the people who you describe as safe. And that's the third idea here. Love is a change agent. Love turns toxic people into safe people. And all people, everybody, is looking to be in a relationship with a safe person. Most of us in here, in fact, all of us in here, The way we tend to describe the kind of people we want to be friends with, when we're looking at our bucket here and we're like, man, who do I want to put in my bucket? What we're looking for is safe people. Safe people are people who are compelled by love. They have been changed by love. You can think about it like this. If you're in um, the ocean or you're in a lake and you're drowning, right? You're just doing this thing right here. You're just looking around for whatever life raft you can find. Okay, whatever flotation device is there. If someone comes on in a life raft, you're not going to ask any questions. You're not going to be like, oh, I'm drowning. Wait a second. Uh, So what are your views on the end times? I just, I got to know that first. And how did you vote in the last election? No, you're just going to crawl in because why? They're a safe person. Unsafe people are going to gravitate towards safe people. Most of us feel insecure and broken all the time. And so what we're looking for is safe people. And so what love does specifically is it's a change agent that turns us into these safe people. And then as a result of that, everybody wants to be around safe people. Uh, when Natalie and I were in Chicago, when I was in grad school, we, um, we met these, we had all these young adults that were in the area where we lived in. One of them was like, hey, do you wanna go over to Tom and Jenny's? And I was like, who's Tom and Jenny? Like, oh, there's this really cool couple. They have these things on Wednesday night called open dinner. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, they just open their house and they cook dinner for people. And I was like, okay. Now we had just moved to Chicago. We didn't know anybody. We were pretty lonely. We had each other, but we didn't have friends. And so we hear this mythical place called open dinner. And we're like, and the food is free? Yeah, just free. Oh man, so we get the address. This is way before like Waze or Google Maps or whatever. We actually had to open up like a physical like and map out how to get there. So now he's giving me turn-by-turn instructions as we're driving through the suburbs of Chicago. Anyway, we pull up to their house and there's just all these cars and All these people outside playing ping pong and you know beach balls are flying everywhere, and we're like, what's going on? So we like stumble in, we're like the kid going into the wrong movie theater. Like, is this the right place? I hope it's not rated R. Like, what's going on, right? We come in and there's Tom and Jenny, and they're like, Hey, welcome, what's your name? I'm like, oh, Doug, Natalie, oh, welcome, whatever. Well, come over here, here's hot dogs, there's ping pong, restrooms are inside, help yourself. If you want to be inside, it's cool, stay inside. If you want to be outside, that's cool. Meet some people, we'd love to talk to you later. Okay. So we went, we ate the hamburger. You know how it is the first time you go to someone's house? Like maybe you did this with the missional community dinner, like you immediately go for the food and you eat it and you eat as much as you can to see how far you can go with the food situation. And then you have that one critical moment. where you're like, do we stick around and engage? or Do we bail? Um, so we were at that moment with them. We were like, hmm. And so we bailed because we were poor grad students and that was free food. And I was like, I don't know if I trust you, right? They seem safe, but I wasn't sure. Well, then as we're leaving, we're like walking out. Tom Jenny go, oh, hey guys, sorry we didn't get to connect with you, but feel free to come back next week. And I went like, like, how often do you do this? They said, every week. I'm like, every week? All year? They're like, yeah, mostly all year. Every Wednesday, 52 Wednesdays a year. I was like, okay. And I didn't know what their whole game was. I didn't know if they were going to, like, invite me to be part of, like, a pyramid scheme or something. I, just, I wasn't sure. And so we got in the car, and we drove home, and we were like, okay. They seemed okay, but it could be a cult. I don't know. Uh, they had some Kool-Aid. You, just, you never know about that thing. And so the next Wednesday, we were like, no, we're not going to go. But then we opened our refrigerator, and we were like, yep. And so we decided to go. <laughs> Y'all are young adults. You know what's up. Uh, And so we went over to Tom and Jenny's. We showed up. there like, hey, Doug, Natalie, welcome back. Here's some food. So we sat down and we talked with them. And here's what we came to realize. Tom and Jenny were really safe. We could be our authentic selves around them. You know how you're not supposed to talk about religion and politics in public spaces? At least that's been a thing. That's all we talked about with them. Right? If you know my personality, I'm immediately, if I don't think someone is safe, I'm going to talk about something controversial and see if they run away. And that's how I know they're safe. So I was like, So, Tom, what's your voting record? Uh, and he's like, Well, I'm glad you asked. I actually have this picture of Nixon in here, and I'd love to talk to you about Republican politics. And I was like, Interesting. Uh, and I was like, Hey, I don't know if I subscribe to Republican politics. He's like, That's okay. I was like, I don't know that I think voting is an okay thing. And he's like, That's okay. I went, I'm not sure I like George W. Bush. And he's like, that's okay. I was like, hmm, this is a safe, this is a safe fella, right? Now, I don't know that I agreed with anything I was saying. I was just trying to test him. Anyway, so then I'm like, okay, well, uh, what do you think about religion? Like, you know, he was like, oh, yeah, I love talking about religion. So we just would talk about it, and I would say controversial stuff. And he was like, yeah, you know, I don't know if I agree with that, but that's okay for you. And I'm like, oh, this is weird. Anything we wanted to talk about, they were like, that's okay. And Natalie and I came to realize this was an incredibly safe place. I could mess up. And they still loved us. Tom and Jenny asked us one um, Labor Day weekend to babysit their, to, to uh, watch their house, to house sit, and to, to watch their dog, who was really, really old and sick. Okay? And so we went and house sat for them. It was right on Lake Michigan. They had like a tandem bike. It was Labor Day weekend. If you've ever been in the Midwest, On Labor Day weekend, it goes from being hot in the summer to cold for fall, like over the weekend. So we would go to the beach, and it would, like, the the front would blow, and it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. Well, we came back from the beach one day, and their dog was dead. Yeah. (laughs) So there's a whole, like, Pulp Fiction moment where we're picking up the dog and, like, calling the fixer and, like, what's happening? Like, we didn't know. We called Tom and Jenny. We were like, surely... This is what's going to invalidate the safety of our relationship, right? Uh, hi, Tom and Jenny. Yes, we killed your dog, but the, the weather is great here, right? Uh, and so we call them. We're like, hey, we think your dog died. What do you want? Like, we, we don't know what to do. And they're like, yeah, you know, she was getting old. So um, just call the vet. So we called the vet and the vet came and took care of it. And we were just sure we were done. So like, we were like, okay, we should, be, we should go home now, right? So... We came to next Wednesday dinner, and we showed up, and we're, they were like, hey, hot dog. I was like, too soon. Too soon, Tom. Uh, oh, yeah. And I was like, man, listen, we are so sorry your dog died. And they were like, listen, it's okay. The dog was old, got sick. That wasn't your fault. Thank you for being here to take care of her. And we were like, this is a safe place, right? <laughs> Tom and Jenny's is a safe place. To this day, if we went to Chicago, Tom and Jenny would be like, you can stay with us, Right? It's a safe place. Here's the thing. All of us know this. We all drift to where safe people are. And safe people are the people who are compelled by the love of Christ. The love of Christ has become so consistent in them that when you read this, I could read this about Tom and Jenny. Tom and Jenny are patient and kind. Tom and Jenny do not envy or boast. They are not arrogant or rude. They do not insist on their own way. They are not irritable or resentful. They do not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoice with the truth. They bear all things, especially when their dog dies. They believe all things. They hope all things, and they endure all things. Love's a change agent. It's meant to make us into safe people, and when love has its way, when the love of Christ has its way in us, we suddenly find ourselves becoming safe people, and we become the kind of people that other people want to spend time with. And so, How can we today, as we're growing up, trying to think through what is it our family gave us and what do we need to put off, what do we need to put on, what are the things we can do to kind of move towards being loving people who are safe people, who can be the kind of people that other people want to build relationships with? Uh, You guys know this, U.S. counterfeiters, the, the Treasury Department, when they train people to spot counterfeit $100 bills, what they don't do is give them a whole bunch of counterfeit bills and go, okay, notice this. What they do do, however, is they give people real $100 bills and they say, learn everything you can about this. And what's interesting is as treasury agents look over those $100 bills and when they get oriented to them, anytime they see a counterfeit bill, they can spot it immediately because they know what the real thing is. So what I want us to do is to focus on just three things I think come out of this text here, three things we can focus on in the love of Christ And some behaviors that I think if you begin focusing on them, concentrating on them now, they will help you take measurable steps towards becoming the kind of loving, safe person that other people want to be around, right? And it will help you begin to identify and eliminate some of the family drama that you've kind of maybe brought into your relationship. So here are the three things I want us to look at here. These are the loving behaviors of safe people. Number one, they create order in their relationships, or you're someone who creates order in your relationship. Uh, If you think about 1 Corinthians 13, it's patient, it's kind, it's not arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way. This is a description of an extremely disciplined person, okay? Now, the cross-reference to this, I want you to notice, is when John is writing about God, he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3, 16, and so, John talks about the creation of the world and how much God loves the world. Well, if you flip over to Genesis, it's really interesting. If you read the first chapter of the Hebrew Old Testament, you'll notice it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. It's a Hebrew term, tohu wabohu. And it means it's in chaos. God created the world, and it was just, it was, there was drama. And you know this, anytime you create something, there's drama there okay, you create a new relationship, there is drama there, okay, anyone who's ever started a relationship, in fact, I was talking with someone today about this, they're like, man, it's just so hard, like, we just started dating, but it just seems like there's always drama, it, it just, it takes so much energy to create something new, if you've ever, well, no one here has, but if you've ever birthed a kid, there's a lot of drama in that process, let me just tell you, well, it wasn't for me, but it was for Natalie, I was there, like, you know, like, oh, drama, right, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Anytime you create something, it's chaos. And so immediately what you have to do is you have to start ordering it. And that's what God does. He creates the world that he loves, and it's drama, and he begins ordering it. The, the, the kind of safe, loving people that we want to become, they're the people who create order and discipline in their world. Okay? So here's what I think this translates, maybe two ways for us. Number one, we can't be flaky people here. Young adults. As you're trying to build relationships, you can't be flaky about things. You're going to have to be disciplined and ordered because love is an ordered thing. It says this is the right thing to do at the right time in the right way. And as best as I can, I'm going to try to do this. This is not a challenge to be perfect. It is a challenge to be strategic and ordered in what you do. Let me give you an example. You meet somebody, you're like, man, let's be friends. Like, okay, let's be friends. What do you want to do? Hey, let's hang out next week. And you go, okay, cool. I'll text you next week sometime, right? Okay, that's flaky. That's not ordered. Okay? Because the person on the receiving end of that is like, well, when next week? Is it going to be Wednesday? Is it going to be Thursday? Is it going to be Tuesday? I need to know this. You know, eh, I'll just kind of, whenever I feel like it, I'll just kind of. No, here's what you go. Here's what you do. You go, hey, let's hang out next week. Okay, cool. Let me text you some times that are available for me. Okay. And then when you tell me the times that you say work for you and it works for me, I'm going to create a calendar invite in my iPhone, and I'm going to send it to you that you can receive, and now it goes on both of our digital calendars with a 30-minute reminder letting us know it's time to leave so that we can be intentional about this thing we want to do to build this friendship, okay, 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 okay. (laughs) That's ordered. Why? Because I want to tell somebody, you matter to me so much, I am blocking this off my calendar. Nobody else gets your time because you're my friend, and that's what friends do. It's ordered. Don't be flaky. But there's another thing that I think we're going to have to do if we're going to be ordered. Okay? We're going to we're gonna have to set some boundaries with people. Okay. If I haven't stepped on toes, here we go. We're going to have to set some boundaries with people. Now, we've already talked about this. If people are toxic. We've got to go, hey, you might just be a little toxic. I'm a... You're, you're a fool, I'm going to get you out of the friend zone here. Just talk to me in six months, we'll talk again. But there might also be some people where you go, parents, <clears throat> you're being a little toxic right now. I'm an adult, and you're treating me like a kid, and so <clears throat> I'm going to need you to just kind of go over there for a while. Now, you look at this and you go, but wait a minute, that's not honoring your parents. Doesn't the Old Testament say honor your father and mother so it'll go well with you? No, 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 no. That's not obeying your parents. But what happens when your parents who raised you to be good start recommending or demanding bad things of you, especially as you build relationships? Is it honoring to them for you to go, okay, well... I know the Bible says don't kill people, but you told me I have to kill this person. So, okay, mom and dad, I'll go kill this person, right? If your parents told you to kill somebody, you wouldn't be like, God, honor my parents, right? No, that would be crazy. You would go, hey, parents, let me honor you. The Bible says don't kill people. So I'm going to disobey you because I need to honor you by honoring what God says. Let me give you, that's maybe an extreme example. You're like, wow, Doug, you had just a really weird uh, upbringing with your family. Uh, let, me, let me give you something that's a little more... Uh, Relatable, okay? You love this person, you're getting married, right? You've, you've kind of gotten physical with them in a healthy way. You haven't activated the launch sequence, uh, right? You're cool. You're, you're getting married, you're planning a wedding, right? Parents are like, uh, why'd you pick that venue? And you're like, oh, uh, well, we thought it was a really good venue. Well, we really like this other venue. And you're like, hmm. Uh, I thought we were getting married there. Are you guys getting married there? Is this a vow renewal? I didn't know about this. I'm sorry. Like, can we not? I I don't understand. They're like, well, we would really prefer that you pick this venue and not that venue. Mm, Okay. Mom and dad, listen, I love you. I want to honor you. So let me honor you by telling you this. I'm a grown adult (laughs) with a job and a 401k. I'm marrying another grown adult with a job and a 401k. And I want you to come to this wedding and be honored. And it's going to be at that location. I have heard you tell me that you would like me to switch locations. Man, you are amazing and you have such wisdom. I'm going to go ahead and reject that consultation. (laughs) Because my basketball bride here wants that location. So that about sums it up. I'll send you an iCal invite, right? <laughs> you, there's nothing dishonoring about that conversation. Now, probably you shouldn't have the sarcastic tone I just had for effect, but in general, right? You got, listen, I love you. I know we're in disagreement, but hey, man, this is not a, I need to set a boundary. I'm a grown up, and we're going we're gonna to move in this direction. Hey, what about this? You, you have this career, right? And the career is going to move you to a new city. Mom and dad go, well, well hey, man, we've always lived in Orlando. Okay, cool. That job is still in Atlanta, so um, I'm going to move to Atlanta, right? Well, we'd really prefer that you find a job here. I would prefer that I find a job here too, but that job's in Atlanta. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen a map. Atlanta's in a different state. I got to be there for my job. I can't be here. Well, why don't you reject that job, and we'll kind of fund you until you find a job in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. 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 Cool. 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 Um, that's an idea. Here's another idea. I'm going to take the job in Atlanta and I love you. I'm going to love you in Atlanta. I hate that I can't be in Orlando, but as i prayed about it and as I am 29 years old, um, it seems to me that this job in Atlanta where God, where God is leading, I'm going to honor you by letting you know I'm moving to Atlanta. I'm going to even buy you some tickets to come visit me up there and see my cool apartment, but I have to just kind of reject that consultation and be disobedient to you, but honoring you at the same time. Part of being an adult is learning how to order your life, okay? And for some of us here, especially, let me just say this. Um, If you're kind of in an immigrant situation here, especially if you're from Latin America where cultures are different, I would not recommend being that um, bold with your Latin American parents, okay? (laughs) This is why I said this in English, not in Espanol, okay? (laughs) In Espanol, the tone is a little... Yeah, more gracious, but 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 the, but the truth is the same. If you're an adult who has an adult job, and you're not relying on parents for anything anymore, your parents are meant to be consultants for your life. They're no longer dictators. Haven't been dictators since you were eight. It's time for you to go. I need to order my life and lovingly honor you, but sometimes not obeying everything that you tell me because. I think some of our parents, especially parents of Gen Z and millennials, which is a lot of us are, I don't know why, but they think they got a helicopter and hover over us all the time and be like, well, no, 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 I want to, I'm going to protect you from all that pain. I want to protect you. Like, that's really good, but man, you, you can't protect me forever. I'm an adult. And so with love and respect, I'm going to keep moving in this direction. Okay, you guys getting the drift here? Okay, I'll, I'll move along from that. There are some of you who are looking at me like, Pastor, my, listen, my mom's going to watch YouTube later and... Hope you enjoy getting that, uh, that AIM chat message she's going to send you from her, from her Dell Inspiron laptop that's coming. <laughs> Number two. So you create order in your relationships. Loving people, safe people seek truth in their relationships. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. We rejoice in truth. Love rejoices in truth. So here's the question. Loving people are people who care about truth. And just the rule on truth is this, Uh, you got to find truth, because if you don't, truth will find you. That's the thing about truth. If you're trying to avoid truth and sweep it under the carpet, that's fine. It's going to find you. So you might as well find it first and embrace it. Here's what I mean by that. If you got blind spots in your life, it'd be really good now to start trying to figure out what they are. Hold on, I'm going to cough here. One second. (coughs) Oh, sorry. I thought I hit the mute button forgive me. If you've got blind spots in your life, if there's an area where you're not considering truth about yourself, your character, your job, your life, whatever, just understand uh, at some point that truth is going to find you. And so what loving people do, the reason they're safe is because they're willing to consider all possible truth at any given moment, including blind spots, things that are really important, uh, or I'm sorry, really um, uh, uncomfortable to consider. Like, So I'll just give you an example of this. One of the pastors on our staff, whose name is Jimmy, uh, Jimmy was just kind of going through a growth season in his life. And so he sent this message to all his friends and interns and staff and people. He said, hey, what do you think are the three blind spots in my life that are hindering me from getting where God wants me to go? He's like, hey, everyone's safe, whatever. And so they all started texting him. And he took all the results, put them in an Excel spreadsheet, tallied them up, was looking, made a top 10 list, right? And I was like, oh, my goodness, like, that sounds crazy. I was like, how was it? He said, it was incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> but I'm glad I know that now. Because if no one had told me that, I would have continued living with all those blind spots. And here's the thing. When you're unaware of some truth that's going on around you, here, here's the thing. People around you who love you, they're aware of that truth. And they, they may not be talking to you about that, but they're talking to somebody about that, Right? If you've got an attitude problem and you're just kind of grating on other people, they may not talk to you about it, but they're going to talk to their counselor about it. They're going to talk to the person who's discipling them about it. They might even be gossiping to other people, other friends about it, okay? So that truth is going to get out there. What I think people who are loving do is, is they pursue truth to such an extent that they go, listen, I'm not above any kind of criticism. And so if you've got something to tell me, I want to invite you to tell me, pursue truth even if it's painful. I'm going to cough again. Lee, can you unmute? We're back. Okay. (laughs) I told you, Lee, I was like, the minute I move off the handheld, I'm just going to cough the whole time. Okay. Third thing people do is they prepare to forgive in their relationships. And here's what I mean by this. you don't just go, hey, when I get there and I'm confronted, I'll, I'll forgive. You, you prepare to forgive. And, and, and maybe I'll say it even more than this. One of the things we notice that destroys a lot of the relationships that we see here and life groups and things like that is just thin skinness. Do you guys know what I mean by that? People who are easily offended and then grudges get formed and they fester and then gossiping starts. And what we see is all the time, like these two friends are best buds and they're like in life group together and they're going on mission trips together. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, friendship, right? I'll use the basketballs, right? Okay, there we go. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, friendships, right? And then one of them is just like, wow, red, that's an interesting color on you. And the, the red one is like, "Uh," oh. And then this starts to happen, right? And this one's like, I'm offended that that person talked about my redness, right? And they don't talk to this person about it. They just kind of sit on it. And they're just like, I can't believe they said that. And then I can't believe they said that turned into like, you're the worst person ever. And I'm going to start like, you know, trolling you on YouTube. And like, I'm going to start gossiping about you and everybody else. And then all of a sudden they're just like so far apart. When they show up at the table, that it's just like a cold war. Like, it's like, like, how did this happen? How did we develop rival gangs out of a comet? Right. And and what's going on here? There's just some thin skinness. and, And there is a there is a lack of awareness of how to go about dealing with conflict resolution. And so here's the best way to deal with conflict resolution is someone who wants to be a loving, safe person. Prepare, just plan it now. If I'm going to love somebody, I got to be ready to forgive them because they're going to offend me. See, they're either going to tell you truth which is what you want. And truth is offensive, by the way. Uh, or they're going to love me and love is a change agent, which is going to offend me, right? Friendship is offensive. Can I just say that out loud? If you're going to love another person, they're going to offend you. So just prepare to forgive them. Be ready when they go, oh, I just don't like that. You go, oh, wow. Hey, hold on for a second. That that what you said right there, that was hurtful for these reasons. I don't know if you know that, but can we can we maybe figure out a way to, to not have that conversation again. Oh, I didn't know that offended you. Yeah, it does. Well, listen, I forgive you. Oh, I forgive you. I'm so glad we got past this. Oh, right. Uh, You got to prepare to forgive people because listen, none of us are perfect and we're going to offend one another from time to time. But if we'll be teachable and if we'll pursue truth and if we'll be prepared to forgive one another, man, who knows? God might just make us into some of the safest people in Orlando. And when that happens, man, you're going to have to open up those air walls because we're not going to be able to contain everybody who wants to come be part of this thing we call the table. And not because the table is so great, because Jesus is so great. So here's how I want to pray for us. I want to just invite us to be in just a time of prayer. So I want to invite you just however you need to assume a prayer posture. Here's how we're going to respond today. I want to lead us through some contemplative exercises to just think about what we've talked through here this evening.